Last night, one of our teenage daughters um, came to me, and, and this is one of our teenage daughters who recently who has been struggling most with uh, her attitude. I mean, it's been a big-time disease at this point, <laughs> and there's been need of correction, and she came in and she said, uh, Daddy, I've been thinking uh, about my attitude. Um, if, uh, if I straightened out my attitude, uh, could I go over to a friend's house this weekend? Well, and I had already heard this same question. She had already asked me. And I said, well, we'll have to see how your attitude is, see if it's doing better. And, and she said, well, how about if you tell me if I can go or not, and then I'll know whether or not I need to work on my attitude. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Wednesday edition of our broadcast. Our host is the Executive Director of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and uh, your wife, Barbara, joining us again in the studio today as we talk about the traps that are laid for teenagers as they move from uh, what you all call the golden years. That's what, elementary school, basically? Right. They move into adolescence. And the one we're going to be talking about today is is something that just seems indigenous to the teenage years. It's like it grows inside a teenager along with the rest of their physical development. It's the trap of their their attitude. Yeah, in fact, uh, I'd use the the illustration of growth, but I would describe it as a cocoon, a self-absorbed cocoon that they wrap themselves in that starts somewhere around the fifth or sixth grade, and the cocoon gets thicker. And um, uh, it continues to be um, woven Mm -hmm. throughout uh, the next eight years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a long time to watch a child that has been so pleasant, so enjoyable, so much kindred spirit with the child growing up. And now they're they're self-absorbed. And I know that's what I went through when I was a teenager. I I was not easy to live with. I was very self-absorbed, angry. and I'd hate to go back and have some instant replays of interactions with my mom and my dad because I was a lot like every other teenager and, and needed to be called out of that by my parents. And I think it's the wise parent who understands the danger of this self-absorption and knows the, the biblical prescription for handling it. Barbara, we've all experienced it in our homes. Give us an example, though, of what we're talking about when we talk about a child's attitude well, let me tell a little story that's, that happened not too long ago in our family. This was a normal school morning. Everybody got up and was getting ready for school like they normally do. And one of our uh, teenage daughters came downstairs to uh, get breakfast and to start making her lunch. And as she scrounged around in the kitchen to find what she wanted for her lunch, she immediately announced to me, there's nothing in this kitchen to eat. And I said, no, wait a minute. We got this, and I started listing off all the things we had available that she could put in her lunch. And she said, well, we don't have any potato chips. And I said, well, honey, I'm sorry we're all out of potato chips. I didn't know we were. And so I was trying to kind of soothe her and help her see that there were other options. And she just proceeded to get angrier and angrier over the fact that we did not have any potato chips in the house. (laughs) (laughs) The desired cuisine Uh was not immediately available. available. Mm -hmm. And it made her mad. And uh, she just continued to insist on having what she wanted. And uh, at that point, she became unreasonable. And and that is 
typical sometimes for teenagers. Um, I don't know what she wanted me to do. I don't know if she wanted me to wave a magic wand, if she wanted me to get in the car and go to the grocery <laughs> store. I don't know. But she was not to be satisfied by anything other than what she wanted, and she continued to be angry and get a her attitude got worse oh, and got, worse and got, worse. It got ugly. In fact, Barbara's patience sometimes, I think, is a little too long-suffering. Mm-hmm. And she allows it to go on beyond where it maybe needs to be nipped in the bud a bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this continued on until there was finally a showdown at the OK Corral. Yeah. Well, finally, we had to draw the line in the sand. And we said, OK, you're grounded for the rest of the week from the telephone because your attitude is so bad. And uh, I thought that would get her attention, and she'd kind of go, whoa, well, I guess I better calm down over this. But she didn't, totally. I mean, the edge went off a little, but she was still upset Mm -hmm. and still angry and still being grumpy to everybody and slamming the cabinet doors and all that business. And so finally I said to her, I said, look, I'm going to go to the store, and I will buy potato chips, but you're not taking any potato chips in in your lunch for a week because you felt like this was your right and it's not a right. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a treat to have. And if we have them, great. And if we don't, that's okay, too. But she just got so bent out of shape. And so that's just a picture of how a normal-seeming uh, day can be changed in an instant by a teenager who has a bad attitude. Mm-hmm. There's a proverb in, in my Bible that I have uh, written above it, the dirty half dozen. And it's uh, six actually seven things that the Lord hates. It's Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and following. And it says, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. You know what the first one is? Mm -mm. Haughty eyes, arrogance, a proud spirit. And I believe if God took the time in Scripture to say that there are seven things he hates, that as parents, we... We've been served warning that if God hates it, we need to go do double time with our children to drive it out mm-hmm. of their lives. Mm-hmm. And over and over in the Proverbs, it says, like Proverbs sixteen five, it says, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Whoa, an abomination? Now, why is God going after uh, this arrogant, haughty, uh, proud spirit in, in us as human beings? I believe the answer is this is the root of life. If you look in in Genesis chapter 2 when Adam and Eve sinned, what was the root sin? The bottom line was they wanted to be like God. Mm -hmm. And what is the root of, of pride? It's us as human beings, whether we're a teenager or an adult, wanting to be like God. It it's not a humble spirit of yielding to God and yielding to an authority. It's saying, I want my way. When I want it. So you're saying at the root of the potato chips is arrogance and pride? Absolutely. It's a spiritual battle taking place here. And it may look like it's just this little skirmish around what's for lunch. But I think these skirmishes occur so that we can train our children to not be fools. Mm-hmm. Now, hear me when I say that. We're in, we're in a spiritual battle for the life of our children as they become adults. And it's why you have other Proverbs that say foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but uh, the rod will drive it far from him. It's the idea of discipline occurring in the life of a child, that pain will help drive the, the foolishness out of his heart and put wisdom in his heart. And I think when these battles around potato chips occur, they're occurring as, as assignments uh, for us to ask God, Lord, help me to create an appropriate amount of pain so that my child 
can can grow up to be a, a wise person and not a foolish person. Bob, there are a lot of teenagers today who have adult bodies. They have become adults, but they've never moved out of their teenage years because mm-hmm. they're still rebelling against God, and they've never had the foolishness driven from their hearts. Mm-hmm. Barbara, I remember talking to a single mom one time, and her son was putting her through the same kind of routine you were getting from your teenage daughter. Things were not going the way he wanted. She was responsible. And she was retelling the conversation, and she said, just as you did the first time with your daughter, she said, well, I'm sorry, sweetheart. And I thought, now, wait a sec. Why are we apologizing to our kids because things aren't going exactly the way that we want? But they can twist things around to where we feel like, it's gee, we've really let them down here. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I think it's especially hard for moms because I think we have more uh, natural empathy with them. We may think, well, they're tired. They didn't get enough sleep last night or uh, they're under stress because there's a big test today or any number of things. And I think moms tend to latch onto those things as a reason why. The behavior is off or the mm-hmm. attitude is off. And so we want to find a reason for it. And so we latch onto this issue that we perceive to be the root of the problem. The problem, though, for us as parents is, is that may not be it. It's really the attitude of their hearts. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes sometimes moms longer and maybe some dads as well. But I know it's harder for me to deal with attitude issues because I want to find a reason to explain it initially. And then when I realize that it isn't, can't be explained away and I can't reason with them, it really is just an, an attitude of arrogance. And I just think it takes time sometimes to process through and figure out what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that makes it so maddening is it's unending. You're, you're not dealing with human beings that are becoming less selfish it's almost like adolescence gives them a terminal case of selfishness mm-hmm. that comes out exponentially. Mm-hmm. And the ugliness of humanity, I mean, their faces, you know, they're, <laughs> I mean, they're, they speak to each other in such arrogant looks. And they, if they could only see what it looked like, <laughs> but they can't. You need, you need a Polaroid, don't you? you Carry do. it around, take a snapshot. And, 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 look the, and, look and the astounding thing is, is you can turn to them and say, now, don't speak to your sister that way. And they go, I was speaking okay to my sister. Uh-huh. And the reality was, is they were full of themselves. Right. They were mm-hmm. arrogant and hammering their sister or their mm-hmm. brother with those words. And uh, this is one of those tough, 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 tough areas of parenting that you wish would go away, but it doesn't. You know, the potato chip story made me think to uh, our younger children, and littler kids can have an attitude, too. I remember mm-hmm. John, who is six, coming to the table one day <laughs> and saying, I don't like what we're having for dinner. And I said, what are we having? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> And I thought, but I don't like it. it's just kind of a general statement. I don't like whatever it's going to be. I'm sure I won't. And we had to we had to come up with a rule at our house that you made no negative comments mm-hmm. about what was on the table, or if you did, that was your you were excused and you could go to your room and and that was it. Because mm-hmm. if you allow that stuff to incubate when the kids are little. That's right. It will take its full blossom in potato chips and other issues later on, That's won't it? That's right. It sure will. And we've been through that with our kids, too. We've had to make the rule about dinner and other issues that come up because if you don't, you find yourself becoming a servant and a slave to your child rather than being a parent to your child and teaching them and training them. Mm-hmm. So it's real easy to subtly slide into trying to fix it and make them happy. But our goal isn't to make them happy. 
And I think we get confused sometimes as parents. Dennis, I remember John MacArthur saying one time, he was talking about the benefits of big families. And of course, you have six kids, so you know about big families. But he said, kids growing up as as, uh, little kids or maybe two, mom may come and wake them up and rub their back and say, what would you like me to make for breakfast for you this morning? He said, I grew up in a big home. We'd come down and if you said, I don't like what's for dinner, the guy next to you said, good, and grabbed your plate and started eating it. He said, you know, we came down and there were six lunches lined up. And if you said, which one is mine or what's in it, it didn't matter. Just take one and go. There is something about a big family that can help drive some of these attitudes out. But you're saying that even with six kids, it still crops up. Well, um, you know, when you get this many people rolling around, and and I don't have it here in the studio with me, but um, a statistician one time from uh, a university did a little study on the number of relationships in our family. And it's not just eight different relationships, eight people. Right. It's, uh, it's something like a thousand different relationships. <laughs> right. And, and, and so it explains why when we go to bed at night, why we're tired. <laughs> because you've been, you've been watching these, these uh, cocoons relate to each other as they move into adolescence. And I'll, I'll tell you what, the dynamics change in adolescence. Mm-hmm. They change big time. And it means that we as parents, and we've been saying this on all these traps, it demands that we have the right attitude. Right. First of all, in our own lives, if we're going to help our children grow up and become adults. If our kids have never seen us die to self, have never seen us back off and accept what's there, then they just figure that's how grown-ups act. Well, you know, the attitude of a parent, if he is modeling humility, teachability, um, asking for forgiveness when they offend, when they make mistakes, they admit it. All these issues are are issues that uh, model for a child what a godly life is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And if we don't model it, if we're arrogant, if we don't admit mistakes, if we don't ask for forgiveness, it's it's very difficult to call your adolescent out of that childishness when we're modeling that same type of behavior. Mm-hmm. Barbara, here is a young person who is trying to develop a sense of self. They're trying to figure out, who am I? Mm-hmm. And it's it's easy to see how they can become self-absorbed in the middle of that kind of a quest. How do we help them in that search for identity without them becoming obsessed with who they are? Well, I think part of it is is just training them through these situations and circumstances as they arise to remind them that God has a plan for their lives. Uh, this is a part of your growing up, and God is at work in your life, and he is, he is wanting you to become uh, more other-centered than self-centered. And it's just it's repetitive teaching over and over again what the truth is about who we are in Christ and, and the plan that God has for us, and reminding our kids throughout those years of adolescence that, um, that they can do it, that they can reach beyond themselves and serve and give and relate to one another in a kind way, and it just takes an awful lot of effort. A lot of energy, a lot of energy. In mm. fact, last night, one of our teenage daughters um, came to me, and, and this is one of our teenage daughters who recently who has been struggling most with uh, her attitude. Mm. I mean, it's been a big-time disease at this point, <laughs> and there's been need of correction. And I finally just kind of had a little showdown with this daughter and said, you're not going to win. 
I just need you to know you're not going to win. You're going to be grounded until you're 35, but you're not going to win. <laughs> That's just the facts of this deal. And I think the age 35 kind of got her attention because last <laughs> night she came to me and she said, Daddy, if uh, if I straightened out my attitude, uh, could I could I go over to a friend's house this weekend? Mm-hmm. Well, and I had already heard this same question. She had already asked me. And I said, well, we'll have to see how your attitude is, see if it's doing better and, and how you handle everything this week. And And mm-hmm. she said, well, how about if you tell me if I can go or not, and then I'll know whether or not I need to work on my attitude. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, it's like this. I said, if you had a job and uh, you had a job to do for somebody, you would not get paid until you did the job well. And I said, this is the same thing. You can't know if you're going until you prove that you can change your attitude. It works the same way. You have to earn it. This is something that you're earning. This isn't something that you – know you're going to get, and then you're going to work for it. It works right. the other way around. You have to earn it first, and then we say, yes, you've earned it, you qualified, you may go. <laughs> and it was interesting because she wanted it to be this free gift, and then she'd decide how well she was going to cooperate in the process. Yeah, and, and then later in the evening, there was this setup for a disrespectful attitude that, frankly, she'd been falling right in the middle of in in previous days. And, I mean, the, the attitude really – stunk. I mean, it was horrible attitude. Mm-hmm. And it'd become a habit, just a pattern. And and you really wonder at that point, as a parent, you wonder, is there any hope for this child? Can, can, <laughs> is there a chance of redeeming this soul from this habit? And it just goes to show you how quickly the right combination mm-hmm. of uh, discipline, that is pain, or a reward can help that child begin to deal with it because she found herself in the middle of the situation and she caught herself in mid-sentence about to be disrespectful of me. And she said, okay, Dad, I can... (laughs) And just turned it on a dime. And we both looked at each other with a twinkle in our eyes. And I said, you did it. Way to go. Way to go. But it... You know, Bob, I think what happens with adolescents is we begin to let them get off in these patterns and habits. and, And we lose heart for them. Mm-hmm. And we allow this stuff to go on. And you know, one of my favorite proverbs that I quote frequently here on the broadcast that is a, a warning about this is Proverbs 29.1, a man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. Mm-hmm. Now, as a parent, I can't allow my child to just harden his neck after being reproved over and over again, I got to appeal to that child. I got to find a way to get to that child's soul and heart and appeal to it to come back to the standard, to come back to God and to express humility, teachability, and a respectful attitude. Mm-hmm. And as you indicate from the Proverbs, an unchecked attitude often leads a child into full blown rebellion against mom and dad. What do you do if you see your child headed to that kind of a I'm going to lead my own life, uh, the, the attitude that really checks you out of the picture. I'll tell you what. We've sensed that with almost every one of our teenagers. I mean, we've sensed that drift, that, that fork in the road, and felt that our children had even gone a few steps down that road. And, and here's where I think by the grace of God, the Lord has enabled us as parents to spot the, the, the pathway and to, to – to know that they're on it, and then to say, hold it, time out. And we got to caucus together off to the side, pray as a couple, and say, what does the Lord want us to do? And and here's where our regular date nights have helped us a bunch, because if you're meeting together and talking as a couple 
on a weekly basis or even every other week to talk about your children and to measure how they're doing, a two-week trip down the path is not very far, Mm -hmm. and you can redeem that child back quickly. It's the child who's had months or a couple of years down that path that's difficult because you've got a lot of ground to recover and recoup with that child. And and Barbara and I will talk over a, a meal um, what our game plan is going to be for that child. And it may mean that dad needs to be um, the heavy uh, and being uh, more the disciplinarian. It may mean that dad needs to be more relational. It differs with the child. Mm-hmm. We have uh, certain children that I demotivate when I become the heavy, and I need to be more relational. And it's Barbara's intuition in those situations, Bob, that calls me to the to the right standard. And here's where a couple have got to pull their, uh, their resources together and get a game plan and talk about who does what and how you go after them and what your game plan is. And it's not all a human game plan. It's a, it's a spiritual game plan. Sometimes it may involve praying for your child, fasting for your child. It may involve uh, praying with your child and, and, and appealing to them and asking them what's going on in their lives. You can't always say it's not a cookie-cutter deal, but it, it is one where a husband and a wife need to hammer this out together. Barbara, I've always remembered Josh McDowell saying rules without relationship equal rebellion. That's almost the formula for it. And when a child is drifting in that area, you really do have to to draw on the relational equity mm-hmm. that you've been building, don't you? Yeah, and you go after them. You go after that child, and you do what you have to do to build that relationship. And it may be that you take that child on a weekend trip. It may be that you start taking the child out for lunch mm-hmm. once a week, go get them, check them out of school, take them to, uh, to lunch once a week, or you go eat with them at the cafeteria so you can see what's going on and who they're relating to. But you do what you have to do mm-hmm. to relate to that child and to understand what's really going on, and you can only do that with time. Mm-hmm. Figure a way to spend time with them. What Barbara's talking about here is is so right because – our children have gone down that path, and, and what Barbara's talking about are things that she's done and that I've done and we've done together that um, we'll get to heaven and find out how God used it. But I could easily see how all six of our kids would have gone down the path um, and never come back. They have that capability. Every teenager goes through periods where they drift, where they, they can make those wrong choices. And I'll tell you, if they fall in the wrong group. Those peers can take them down a swift path mm-hmm. that can sweep them off their feet, and they can find themselves in some destructive situations very, very quickly. What would you say, Dennis, to the parent who says, you know, this is a phase. They're teenagers. Yeah, they got an attitude, but they'll grow out of it sooner or later. I mean, eventually something will will hit a spark, and they'll, they'll grow up. I'm just going to let them be. One of the things we've told our children over and over again when we discipline them and when we have grounded them and and we have brought pain to their soul for their wrong choices Mm -hmm. is we've told them, you know, the easiest thing for us to do is nothing. But we love you and we can't let you get away with this. We can't just let you continue on your merry way because you can either learn those lessons today or you can learn them as an adult. And the price in adulthood for people who are fools is a far greater price because it may involve other people. Mm -hmm. It may involve a spouse. It may involve children. It may involve many, many other people that are impacted by our foolish choices. And so uh, my assignment as a parent, along with your your mom, is, uh, is to come alongside you and help you become the person that God has created you to be.